Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 Podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. This is the First Impressions Edition after the Colts knock off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 27-20 to uh, in on Sunday. Uh, the... The big takeaway here for me, I mean, like in terms of the the overarching part, is just that this this Colts team is unequivocally, undeniably in the playoff mix. <laughs> They're going to face a lot of teams like this down the stretch. Um, the one big team on their schedule that that we thought was going to be a very difficult game to win was the Cincinnati Bengals. They are no longer uh, difficult because Joe Burrow does not play for them until next season again. Um, and and they got a lot of losses today that ended up in the right spot. We're trying to figure out right now, um, as as we're taping this, the Buffalo is trying to come back on the Eagles. Um, if Buffalo loses this game, the Colts may be in the seventh spot. It depends on their tiebreakers against Denver. Um, but they're 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 in this. They're in this both because of the schedule and I think because um, you know they just they've they've found a way to minimize. The, the issues they have at quarterback with Gardner Minshew um, and, and win games, even though he's, he's really not playing the best. Yeah, they're just doing a miraculous job minimizing issues on both sides of the ball because, you know, on, on defense, I think they're in a, a similar spot where they're trying to overcome the losses they've had at outside cornerback. You know, those issues were so glaring a few weeks ago. They found ways to play around that, namely with, with their pass rushing guys making plays. Trying to overcome, you know, some other stuff they're dealing with with the, you know, Grover Stewart suspension has really hurt their run defense. But the these weaknesses they have forming on both sides of the ball are not costing them games right now. And part of that is the opponents they're facing, you know, like the Panthers and the Patriots certainly made that easier for them. But their job right now is to beat the teams in front of them. And I think what they're doing by beating these bad teams consistently is showing that they're not one of those. And a lot of people, myself included, kind of thought they would be that this year, that it was you know, it was a team coming off a four-win season that had a rookie quarterback, a young roster, some roster holes that we've already talked about. And yet, the, even though they lose that rookie quarterback early in the year, they go to a backup that they're having to try to play around, they're still winning. And I think it's just a big credit to uh, the coaching staff, uh, I think a credit to the front office for – some of the players they've brought in to manage this and a big, big credit to just sort of the, some of the big time players and big time leaders on this team is this team really has a, has a good, uh, they just have a good pulse to them right now. They seem like each week they're, they're answering a lot of calls. And today, uh, today there were moments where this game could have slipped. Um, I felt that in just about every game that they've won so far, and they just have kind of found ways to rise to the moment. Today was the latest example. We can move right into the categories here of the game. Nate, I just I just want to give some background for the listeners. Nate gets uh, his, his his pulse rate and his blood pressure goes up so much during the game. Thinking about what he has to say, he mentioned it like four times to me. Like, am I going to have to do this? The villain of the game? Am I have to do this? Um, it's it's yeah. I want to bring it for the listeners. Frankly, frankly, it makes me think that the categories were, were even an even better idea because of how much <laughs> how much pressure you put on it. How much stress I am under? Uh, yes, and, and and just just to be clear, he 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 begged for the uh, the hero of the game to start. So the Colts win hero of the game. We will start with that. That is partly because I did want to pick the hero. I also don't want to be the one to pick the villain. So uh, you still have to pick a villain. That's the thing. I know, but I don't have to pick it first. <laughs> uh, so my hero, know, I'm in control of the podcast. I can do whatever uh, I, I guess want. That's true. I guess that's true. You make the rules. Um, hero of the game for me is Ronnie Harrison. Uh, just an awesome story for a guy who I wrote about it at Indy Star this week, but he went this whole offseason. Uh, he's coming out, a guy coming off four seasons of starting at safety in this league for the Jaguars and Browns. This offseason got two calls total from teams. One of them was from the Ravens who wanted him to try out. And the other one was from the Colts who had a training camp spot for him, but then later asked him to move from safety to linebacker. And just a weird experience for a guy who's a 26-year-old who started playoff games and uh, has made plays, former third-round pick. I mean, he's. it was hard for him to figure out why this was going the way it is. But 
things transpire a certain way this season where all of a sudden there's a big need at linebacker and they decide to to make the bold decision to move on from Shaquille Leonard this week and uh you know I had, so I wrote that story and kind of had a feeling that he might uh might factor in they didn't know that until late in the week that that that's what they wanted to do but it he's earned that uh in practice with them he's been the linebacker for them for two months now and today he comes out and he starts for them in base plays a lot of snaps and he gets that interception on Baker Mayfield uh that was you know a big big part of why they went up so much you know but went up two scores in that game it was one more play than they've really had from that position um you know we talked about you know all the stuff that's kind of in the in the past but the, the search for splash plays at that position has been something we've brought up constantly in this podcast he comes out in his first game ever playing linebacker uh just picks off that pass and it, it's just ironic that it you know came against Baker Mayfield, his former quarterback in Cleveland. So I think that played a part in it. But it goes to show the experience that he had. That's why they liked him. They felt like it would once he got the some of the mental side down of a new position, they knew he wouldn't go out there and flinch. And I think all of a sudden, you know, he's a guy that he's 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 up at around two hundred and twenty pounds right now. He's not gonna be your run stuffer, obviously, as a converted safety, but he looks like a guy who's going to do stuff in that in that role. And that will linebacker spot is similar to the safety spots he's had in Jacksonville and Cleveland. And today he he fit like a glove, and it's just kind of fitting the seasons. They need sometimes they need guys that you wouldn't think of stepping up into the moment, and and he was the guy today. Hero of the game for me is Shane Steichen. Um, really, this is an offense that had been struggling. Um, they'd been struggling specifically with teams that stacked the box to stop the run. I thought that not only the fourth down calls, the two very, very good fourth down calls, one that I, I'm pretty sure was an RPO. Um, no one has said that to me, but just looking at the play and looking where Gardner Minshew's eyes were, I think that's what was going on. Um, the first one being an RPO, the second one being the pop pass to Mount Moelle Cox. Uh, the fourth down calls were big. I also think that the game plan in general opened up the offense. Um, they threw the ball a lot early, and I, I could be wrong. I think that the that how much they threw the ball ended up opening holes in the running game for them. Um, yeah, I, I thought you know this this is this is a uh, and we'll we'll just go to this <laughs> right now. Um, this this has become a season of Shane Steichen trying to figure out ways to uh, minimize the impact of Gardner Minshew mistakes. Um, that's it's gonna he's gonna end up being my villain of the game again, um, but. That that's that's become what this season is for them down the stretch, is not only they're playing these these vulnerable opponents, but they also have to minimize the impact that Minshew Minshew's play and his his bouts of inconsistency and issues um, have on them. And I thought Steichen did a good job to, got a good job of it today. Um, he did end up putting the ball in his hands a lot. I know people didn't necessarily like that. I think it was necessary. Um, if if you come out and Allow, allows Todd Bowles essentially to and tell Todd Bowles, hey, we're going to run the ball. Um, essentially, that's not going to – like that's that usually when the Buccaneers do well. Um, the fact that they threw the ball early, threw the ball quick, when they did throw the ball, they didn't, they didn't really ask him to do the sort of things he's not good at, which is helpful. Um, like, you would like to be able to ask him to do some of those things. He's kind of proven over the last five games or so that it's not going to go well on a – on a you know consistent basis if you do that um but but Steichen did a good job of managing that today um and they, they did get some help from Tampa Bay um uh, not not cashing in chances uh we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit but but I thought a very good game plan from Shane Steichen very good calls in the moment um good preparation you know the story I wrote off of this game is just Shane Steichen kind of says that like fourth down is his gut I think it's actually deeper than that um, saying it's your gut sort of makes it feel like it's like a fly by your seat of your pants impulse decision. Like th- this is a Colts team that is uh, has done, has gone for it on fourth down twenty two times. That's tied for fourth in the fourth most of the NFL right now. I think it's more a fundamental part of his DNA. He's he's he, as a coach he is going to be relentless when he smells blood. He's going to go for it. Fourth down is part of that, and then the preparation part of it. Like some of some of him smelling blood is knowing. I've unlocked this defense. I have stuff that can beat them. I'm going to use it. And I thought that's what some of those fourth down calls were today. Yeah, I think it's maybe just his gut in terms of which play to use, but it shows you how ridiculously prepared he is to have some of these wrinkles and 
plays for those moments where it's not just a decision of let's go for it and run one of our basic plays we just do all the time. It's running out stuff like that RPO to Michael Pittman when everyone in the world thought they were going to run up the middle or uh, you know a, a play-action fake out of a bunch formation with Zaire Franklin in at fullback to go down the field to Mo Alley-Cox. Like, these are things that he's developing to where he can he can call on fourth down he can be aggressive he can make that part of who he is but also but still be unpredictable in the course of doing it and he's the biggest reason why they're in this spot at six and five and have a chance when they have been trying to manage their backup quarterback all season and they've had other things that just have not gone their way in terms of you know the struggles to get Jonathan Taylor on the field early in the year the things not working out with Shaquille Leonard to force or uh Grover Stewart getting suspended, um, you know, just some of the other injuries that they've had this this week. Uh, you know, losing Ryan Kelly when they thought they were going to get him back, and then he he doesn't pass the protocol. I think that probably factored into why they weren't just going to run into the brick wall of Vita Via all the time. They were going to have to throw to lighten the box, and it made sense in the end. I'll admit, during the game, I was a little puzzled by a few things that he was doing in terms of I, I didn't get the clock management at the end of the first half I think that is his one mistake in this game looking back was not taking a timeout to move the ball further for a closer Matt Gay field goal you know but it's nitpicking in a game where he gave them such an edge you know with the overall game plan with the fourth down calls with the aggressiveness they led this entire game and they kind of forced they they, they kept their foot on the pedal and they forced the Bucks to be that desperate team that tries to uh, th- that ends up forcing the mistakes, uh, and that's you know that's the way that that they has to win right now is almost like getting other teams to sort of beat themselves, uh, and and he did it today. From a villain of the game perspective, I've already touched on it. It's it's again this is the MCU villain. Just a reminder for everybody because um, it makes Nate squeamish. It may make some of you squeamish as well. Um, it's it's somebody who means well, but they're they're ultimately um, it ends up being bad. Gardner Minshew wasn't bad today. He, he ends up twenty four of forty one, two hundred and fifty one yards, um, no touchdowns, one interception. He has a t- he has a rushing. He ended up with a rushing touchdown. Um, he wasn't like awful today. Uh, he wasn't as bad as he was say in New in Germany, um, but also uh, he threw one interception. It was a bad interception. He kind of went to a different arm slot on that throw, which. Maybe not the thing he should do. That's more of a thing for a different quarterback. Um, and uh, he should have thrown a second one. He owes Alec Pierce a uh, dinner or something mm-hmm. for uh, what was honestly a very nice hit um, for for that not happening. He also had a fumble that they recovered themselves. The Colts recovered. There were some turnover worthy plays in there that that in addition to the interception that it, things this could have been a much different game. But you know. It, in the aggregate, though, it's, it still ends up being 5.6 yards per dropback. He had – I don't know. I don't even know how to describe this play. <laughs> um, he had a play where uh, if he had scrambled, I think he gets at least eight yards. Yep. There was no one there. I, I don't I – don't, and, he, and he took off like he was going to run for it, which made sense given what you could see from the press box. Like There, there was lots of room there. And then, like – he just turned and looked back and stopped sort of inexplicably. Like, I, I don't know why. Uh, and when he did that, it allowed himself, he allowed himself to get hit. Um, I think the way I described it is like when you're, and this is more for, for parents than anybody else, but like, um, I guess it could be if you have like nephews and stuff. It's like when you're chasing a kid who wants to be caught so they can get tickled <laughs> and they're just like, so they're like, they're like pretending to run away and then they like turn to look back like, get, don't get me. That's what it felt like. It was a, it was an inexplicably confusing play. Even though the reward in this case is like the opposite of tickling, it's getting demolished by an NFL pass yeah. rusher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it, but I, yeah, it's like he went looking for a sack on that play and <laughs> Very, very puzzling to watch that, and that's unfortunately that's kind of what's gone on with ba- with uh, with Gardner Minshew is he, under pressure, just uh, just kind of making some desperate plays, and that that play made me think that I think his fumbling issue is in his head a little bit, where he's just very nervous about getting hit from behind, knows the ball is very likely to come out, knows how critical that is to 
whether or not they win. It was almost like he he was willing to give up the eight yard gain to just be positive he wasn't going to fumble, uh, which makes it kind of hard to play that way. But you know, but I guess yeah, he just he didn't lose it for them today, so he's he's not a villain in that sense. But it is you know it's it's one of those where like if any of the last three weeks if if they were to lose, it's you know we. We kind of know where we're off, and they're they're falling short, and it's it's in their passing game. So uh, my villain of the game, just to to make it a little bit different, I'm going to go with the uh, the Colts' run defense. It was really terrible today, honestly. Uh, so the Buccaneers ran for 19 times for 125 yards, 6.6 per play, uh, and that's a Buccaneers team that I was shocked at how bad their rushing numbers were coming in. It was stunning. Uh, Rashad White, who had 100 yards today on only 15 carries, came into the game averaging 3.3 yards a carry, and that was a lot better than other players on the Buccaneers. So they were going up against one of the worst run defense, rushing teams in the NFL and kind of got gashed up the middle at the edges, and, and it's a mix of things right now. It's obviously the biggest one being not having Grover Stewart out there and they're in a bind where they're, you know, it's, it's a mix of Taven Bryan and Eric Johnson, and sometimes Dio Dangbo is just there. They're kind of playing him there on normal, you know, non-passing downs anyway because they, they just don't have a lot going on. And then, of course, you know, this that, that is one of the trade-offs to playing Ronnie Harrison is you are a little lighter, uh, you know, in run defense there, a guy who's learning, you know, not only trying to raise his, his physicality to the linebacker spot, but he's still learning some of the run fits and they just, they just, just not, not enough of a push up front, uh, from these guys in the run defense. So that's one of those where it's almost like they're lucky that the team they faced was not more equipped to kill them there. Because I think about like, we're watching the Eagles right now. If they face a team like that, if they face a team like the 49ers, I think they're in big, big trouble, but luckily for them, it's just one more game after this, uh, without Grover Stewart, but they get my villain for today. Yeah, to underscore the point about the run defense without Grover Stewart, um, the Bucks came in averaging 3.1 yards per carry. They're not the only bad rushing attack that the Colts have allowed to run for a ton of yards. Carolina can't run the ball at all. They ran for like 140 yards. Uh, New England is in the 20s. They ran for like, I think like 160, 170. They're, they're, the Colts are giving up something like 150 yards a game in Stewart's absence, and they have not played, like, the cream of the rushing crop. It's been pretty bad. Um, yeah, because yeah, even the Browns are down to a third-string running back. The game they face them, the Saints, I don't think are exactly a top-rushing team. So they've kind of – this is where the schedule's kind of worked. It, it has worked in their favor is that the six-game absence without Grover has been – it's not gone well in that run defense, and they're just kind of lucky that they haven't faced a team in that span that's going to really – Gash them. Yeah, the Saints are terrible. They they came into today's game, I think, 30th in the NFL on average yards per carry. Uh, unsung hero of the game for me, though, this plays into this. Um, I think, you, well, I'll, I'll leave it just in case in case you do it, and then I'll, I'll put it in there um, if you don't. Uh, but the, the Samson Ebicom, and this is sort of a, as, a, as a talisman for the entire pass rush, six sacks today. Uh, just, like... To put that in perspective, Tampa Bay had only given up 20 this season. It was fourth best in the NFL. They were fifth best in sacks per pass attempt. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me, and, and this isn't – Ebicom obviously was kind of the tip of the spear. He had two sacks today. He sealed the game with a strip sack where he beat Tristan Wirfs. Incredible play. But a lot of the sacks today, though, were not of that variety. A lot of the sacks today were second effort sacks as Mayfield was trying to climb the pocket, scramble around. That was what Quiddy Pay told me that they they identified as a defensive line in um, in preparation for this game was yeah he's not getting sacked a lot but he does hold on to the ball and if you just keep after him you can get him down and that's that's what they did they needed those sacks because they they really they really struggled in coverage against Evans and Godwin I thought especially Evans um, but the the defensive line here has really driven them the last three games. It was questionable whether or not they were going to be able to do it today. Six sacks later, especially in, in big situations, it ended up that the defensive line, uh, the pass rush specifically, what what they're not necessarily getting in the run defense right now, the pass rush, six sacks, nine quarterback hits, um, definitely unsung hero of the day. Yeah, the pass rush is becoming kind of the hero 
uh, you know, of the season behind Shane Steichen to me because just a few weeks ago when they played back-to-back games here against the Browns and Saints, defense was looking pretty terrifying in, in, in some of the issues we laid out in the and there weren't going to be solutions at nose tackle or outside cornerback that were going to make this, or even linebacker that were going to make this just magically better. It was that the best part of the team was going to have to rise above. And that's what a pass rush can do. It's why those guys make so much money in this league is that they can take over games and they took over this game and are the reason why Mike Evans and Chris Godwin didn't just torch this team and, and win it that way. And so, uh, Eagles just tied this on a crazy long field goal, so uh, maybe the Bills will lose. We will in the rain. Keep you guys updated. <laughs> uh, we're just watching it as we're as we're podcasting. Uh, but my uh, my unsung hero, I'm going to go with Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, just kind of a quieter 100 yard game, uh, just by the feel of it. But then you realize that I mean he got 13 targets and caught 10 of them, and he's really their only wide receiver who did anything. Is you know as a receiver, of course you mentioned Alec Pierce with that great play breaking up the pick, but it was a it was not a great game for Josh Downs, uh, you know, and Alec Pierce same kind of deal as it's been this season. So, and, and really, really the whole passing game they they pretty much had the one play to Mo Ali Cox, and outside of that it was Michael Pittman Jr. going ten catches for 107 yards, and not easy when um, you know when the, the opposing team knows that's who you're going against. Grand the Bucks are not the best on the back end in their defense. But, you know, Pittman went out there and he, he did the thing that he's he's trying to do this season. A contract year is be that number one receiver, even when the other team knows that's what you are. And today was a performance where he did that. Bonus unsung hero for me um, is Gus Bradley. I think, I think he's made a decision to give up uh, rushing yards in exchange for not giving up explosive plays in the passing game, and it's largely worked. Um, I think that's. I think it's part of it. I mean, part of it is that they they don't have players who can replicate what Stewart does. Um, but I think that's also part of it. He started to play more split safety looks. He acknowledged the other day that's going to give up some stuff in the run game. But they couldn't. They couldn't keep giving up explosive plays the way they gave them up against the Saints, and they haven't. Um, you know, he deserves some credit too for for this whole situation with Ronnie Harrison. Is that um, they've been watching him in practice all season. He was one of the. Um, he, he was the one who came up to Ronnie Harrison late in training camp and said, we don't have the numbers to keep you at safety, but I think there's a path for your linebacker. And that's his his closest position. So the one he was a position coach for, Richard Smith, his linebacker's coach, is, uh, the, the two of them have basically put in half a century working at that position or as coordinators in this league. And so they saw something that the whole league didn't see in Ronnie Harrison. And, and the Colts front office gets that. Um, they, they clearly had a role in that too. But in terms of building Ronnie to this moment, I mean, Gus Bradley, they've, they've been, you know, the film work and, and the meeting room stuff they've done all season. And then what happens is under Steichen, they have a, uh, a competition period in practice. The final seven or eight plays are – for the practice squad players, young players to run the Colts scheme and show a little bit more of their upside that they can evaluate. And that was one of the spots where, where Gus really noticed what Ronnie was doing as, you know, as a linebacker. And um, he just, he was the one who decided kind of late in the week that that's the route they want to go to. And it was, you know, that was their, their plan B to Shaquille Leonard. And it's nice to think that like this time they had a plan B that was, that was awesome because we've seen before where, you know, their plan B to Daryl Baker when they went to Tony Brown, we crushed them for that. Um, this was another moment where they had to make a pivot to something unfortunate happening or something difficult happening, and I thought they knocked it out of the park for this game. Unsung villain, um, Eric Johnson. Taven Bryan should also go in this, but uh, Eric Johnson is, is a nose tackle by trade. I want to say, though, I, I don't know that this necessarily means – I think they'll probably try to address it in the offseason. I don't necessarily know that this means – that Johnson is is like you you might not get something from him. I think it's important to remember that with Grover Stewart, who was also a third day pick with a lot of potential, that it took him three years to kind of figure everything out. Johnson may be on the same track. He's playing a lot now. They're they're not. He hasn't done a lot since he got in the lineup. Um, and and some of that run defense issue, um, you'd hope that he was playing a little bit better in that spot. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm going to go with, for mine, I'm going to go with Josh Downs. Um, normally I don't like to put this on a rookie, but they're putting, a, they're, the Colts are putting a lot on this rookie who's had such a 
awesome rookie season so far, even playing through knee injury. But today was kind of a weird game for him where he got the bye week, was which is what he, he said he really needed to, to fix that knee. Um, you know, looked in terms of how he's moving around like he had more. I mean, certainly the snap count was and the usage was way up from what it was against the Panthers and Patriots. It just didn't it didn't translate. I don't maybe it's rust from that's really three weeks of not doing a lot in the games. Uh, that probably is a factor. But you know, he finished got 13 targets, finished five catches for 43 yards. Uh, just you know, there was a couple of moments of miscommunication uh, with Gardner Minshew. I don't. You know, we don't know exactly what was going on there, but something just it just didn't work with Josh today. And so I have no doubts he's gonna he's gonna bounce back and be awesome because he's been that pretty much every single game. It's just a reminder that like even a a guy who's who's hit the ground running as well as he has, you know, he can he can still have an off game too. That moves us to number of the day. Uh my number of the day is eighteen point two. That is the percent of third downs that the Colts converted, which is terrible. Uh, but the offense still was able to put up 394 yards, 26 total first downs, um, and 5.6 yards per play. That Those are not numbers that go along with an 18.2% on third down. Some of that is Shane Steichen going for it on fourth down. Some of it's not. Um, some of it is them being good on first and second down. Uh, it, it's it's a surprising number. Um, it, sort of, it sort of illustrates to me – uh, that there is still weakness in this offense, and that they're they're kind of over, they they had to kind of overcome it today. Yeah, no doubt. It's it really that number really plays into just how critical those fourth down plays were, and how Shane Steichen kind of worked through the limitations of his passing game and overall his offense. Uh, my number of the days, I think you may have already used it, but I'll sort of double back is six. That's the number of Colts players who had sacks today, and that is an awesome number. Um, we're going. And it's awesome to me, especially because none of them are DeForest Buckner. And that is not normally the way this has gone since I came on this beat. But uh, Samson Ebicom, Quiddy Pay, even Isaiah Land had one. Tyquan First Lewis, of his career. Yep. Dio Dangbo and, and Tommy, uh, the rookie out of Northwestern. Um, that's they're finally They finally have that pass rush that Chris Ballard has talked about where you need eight guys. And in that it's not all just DeForest Buckner. Obviously, and he's certainly – I mean, he's helping create those. Don't don't get me wrong. But he's been doing that since I got on here, and it hasn't always translated to other guys stepping up and producing. And it's one thing for – you know, occasionally another guy would step up. We've, we've seen games from Dio Dangbo, Quiddy Pay, where they but, – but to have this many guys doing it, uh, this is what they want. This is what they need with the secondary that they have, with the run defense issues that they have, uh, with the way that they're – you know, they're playing their safeties back to take away the explosives. They're they're putting a lot on this group to wreck it and work together, and they're doing exactly that. Bonus number of the day, and it's a guessing game. Four. Can you guess what the four is? Uh, it's the number of times they went up for it on fourth down. It is. That's 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 a good guess. It's a better guess than I was expecting. It's DeForest Buckner's rank in sacks this season on the Colts roster. Hmm. Interesting. So Dio is above it. Dio has six and a half. Samson has six. And uh, Quiddy Pay has five and a half. DeForest Buckner is at five. Buckner is still by far the most dominant player. But it is it is it is something that the Colts have been hoping for for a long time that somebody else could help clean up if he didn't get a sack. They've come a long way. I remember when I first got on here in 2021, it felt like nobody was getting sacks that wasn't DeForest Buckner. And so they uh, they turn around. I mean, there's not another guy. Uh, now, I will say Dio is, is stepping in into being a dominant player. Maybe that's the one other one. But mostly what's happening here is it's a lot of it's a lot of solid players, which which works when you can build it around a dominant player like DeForest Buckner. And when you have versatility among that group where, you know, you have guys like Dio can play inside or outside. Um, you can keep guys like Sampson and uh, Quiddy a little bit more fresh. It's It's all coming together. Game day observation, uh, the Colts have brought an eagle. Uh, not only that, they brought an eagle from one of my previous stops. Very weird day for me where uh, I used to cover Auburn, and they had the eagle. And um, We used to cheer for the eagle to leave Auburn Stadium and just fly off to go kill mice on its own um, because they, the Auburn Stadium is open. And so, like, it would soar up by the scoreboard, and we'd all be like, go, fly, bird, fly. 
And it never did. It's well trained. Also, there's probably I'm probably being mean to the Raptor scientists because the Raptors, they're probably captive for a reason. Those like it, my understanding. Uh, since I since I've been there, is that there are a lot of birds who, for one reason or the other, would not be fine in the wild. Um, so I'm joking a little bit, but uh, a good flight today. Um, some of the same. I could feel some of the same. Where is that bird going? <laughs> from from the press box and from the crowd at, at at large, I was unconcerned. I have seen that flight many many times. I would say probably thirty times uh, in my life. Um, it's it's always good. I mean, watching a, watching bald eagles fly is good. Yeah, I've never seen that uh, in person because obviously I haven't covered. I've not been to an Auburn uh, Auburn game outside of the one time I was at the SEC championship game against Mizzou, but I don't remember them doing that at that game. They also you also I have also seen an eagle fly at the Reds game at the Cincinnati Reds mm. game because the eagle from the Cincinnati Zoo does it sometimes for like July third, July fourth. Hmm. Little known fact. It was impressive that the eagle landed and did all of, you know, the route it was supposed to do. When this is not its natural home, so it was not a lost bird. Oh, it doesn't care about uh, the environment. It cares about that thing down there that they're trying to get. Yep, yep. Um, my game day observation. I'm just gotta gotta shout out the moment with Shaquille Leonard. Uh, yeah, this I is a good one. Did not think he would be at the game this soon after. Uh, you know, just on Tuesday getting, getting released and all the emotions that went into that. And like any of these things, it gets a little messy toward the end and it got a little, a little messy just in terms of he didn't necessarily love, you know, the explanation they gave of why they were cutting him and all that stuff. But here he was, he was not only at the game, he was in a suite with his family, which is an interesting, just a really interesting sight. And they put him on the video board, uh, and, and the crowd goes, nuts and he's waving to him and he's like pumping the crowd up and uh just a good reminder that like you know that bygones can be bygones overall uh, you know over the course of time and it only took you know a few days for this one to start to heal but here we are and i think we're getting back to where you know we did the podcast on wednesday where where i just was hoping was going to happen which is we remember Shaq for the good moments mostly and and the way it ended was just sort of an unfortunate um kind of steps to a divorce that had to happen but now that it's happened uh we can we can be grateful for the times we got to see it with him out there on the field and it was neat to see him up there to be able to take in a game that way and then i also saw where it was right after that all felt like two minutes after that ronnie harrison gets the pick and the crowd goes nuts and Shaq tweets out and Gives a shout out to Ronnie Harrison, who was the guy who stepped in to take his job. So, um, you know, their wounds can't heal, and I think they're starting to heal the Shaq. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that where a player is released and before they play another down for another team, when other teams are actively talking about their interest in him, uh, they're at a game of their former team that they were they were just playing for that team two weeks ago, uh, and get the standing ovation, the video tribute. Very 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 cool moment. Very different moment. Um, that brings us to three football things that gave me joy. Uh, number one is very obvious. Zaire Franklin getting to play fullback. Uh, I am already on record as saying throw it to him. I My I, my personal favorite is Spider 2Y Banana because the, the primary receiver for Gruden on that was always the fullback. I also will accept a wheel route. I, I jokingly... Asked Franklin as he was going through past. I didn't talk to him for an interview, but he was going past me in the locker room. And I said, "Wheel route," and he said, "Wheel route, real route, double reverse, uh, <laughs> fade. I'll do anything." Um, I think I think it's very. It's been very clear on this podcast that I want all non-traditional uh, pass catching types to get a pass. They still owe me a Bernard Ryman. Now they owe me a Zayer Franklin. I, I will take all of them. It's all and any. Love it when defensive players in the NFL get to play offense. So then when you weren't over there during his interview, you missed his explanation of how this actually came to be, which is very funny. Um, so he gets there to the meetings, uh, you know, out of the bye week. I'm guessing this was Monday. And he made a joke just to offensive players like, hey, I'm playing offense this week. And it was at that time that Shane Steichen was going into a meeting to talk about putting in this play where they were going to 
the fourth down play where they're going to run heavy and they needed three tight ends and a fullback. Tom Tom Manning deserves credit here. This was Tom Manning's idea, the tight ends coach. Yes, Tom Manning's idea. But the question Tom Manning asked Shane was, well, we don't have a fullback, though. Who are we going to play? And they they were just tossing names around for a long time and just weren't really coming to a very easy su- suggestion on that. So then uh, Shane heard Zaire's joke about him playing offense, and they started to think a little bit more about, well, why don't we just use him? And so then he goes, Shane sees Zaire and says, uh, did you get the memo about playing offense? And Zaire's convinced that he's just late to the joke. So he just repeated the thing he's in the offensive play. He was like, oh, I need a pass play. And then Shane was like, no, really, did answer me. Did you get the memo? And he was like, oh, you're serious. And that is how they decided to put Zaire Franklin in there. And what I would add to it that's hilarious is just watching him on that play um, <laughs> because he's the fullback, obviously, and he's they're running play action. And he is very clearly convinced that he's about to get lit up by like a blitzing linebacker. And he just like – you can tell a guy just has it in that spot a lot. He's got his hands up. He's like trying to be like the technical, technically right guy, and there's no one there. And he's so he just sort of chops his feet and moves forward until he sees the ball fly over his head. And it kind of was it's like a guy, you know, it's like it's like someone trying to make their way through a dark room, but then they see that light through the tunnel, which is the ball flying thirty yards down the field to Moali Cox, and then Zaire's the first one down there to celebrate with him. So it was a fun moment. Number two football thing that gave me joy: Alec Pierce breaking up the interception. It's a legit, legit hit. Like, let's give let's give Alec Pierce some emergency strong safety reps. And and he kind of tried to dig the ball out with his with his left hand. Like great yeah. instincts, crazy instincts. Because not only that, but he also like he gets up and he he's like waving his arms incomplete. Like a which is the most that's the most defensive back thing you can do. It's like, the most defensive back thing you can do. The defensive backs wave like <laughs> make that make that thing when they don't have anything to do with the play not being complete. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy like in in like a 1.5 second span of time, he decides that he's a defensive back and plays it perfectly. So that was Yeah, I think uh Carter Minshew owes him something for that. He's got to come up with something, some kind of gift to give Alec Pierce for saving that play. Number 3 football thing that gave me joy, the pop pass. I I I've said I know you guys know that I've said that the 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 goal line play action past the tight end has never been covered they did that they just did it further out in the in the in the field of play and guess what it wasn't covered for 30 yards so uh very enjoyable for me very very enjoyable play yep uh i don't know if i have any more because the one that gave me the most emotions in one we already talked about which was gardner Minshew's scramble that one would, into does that one is that is that our entry this week for football play that left me terribly vexed? Yes, vexed is a great description for what that play did to me, because <laughs> it made me it made me just recalibrate what I thought of what quarterbacks are supposed to do. <laughs> Poor Nate is questioning quarterback existence because of that play. <laughs> uh, that moves us on to the to the the more important categories. Uh, too much credit, too little credit. Um, we will start with too much credit. Too much credit for today's win. Hmm. Um. I guess I'm just going to have to go with the the Colts' passing game on the whole. Um, you look at it; they had 250 yards. It felt like you know they put up a lot of points. You know, in in a numbers way, it did. It, it is a very balanced game: 250 passing, 150 rushing. That's like how you would dream to draw it up but it just felt like uh i mean it, it depends on how we how we break it down but it's a 30 yard pass to mo alley cox was by far the longest play that they had they i guess they had one 24 yarder to michael Pittman jr but i really that's felt the like two, the two that's the two fourth down plays and neither yes. one neither one was was a play that there was anyone remotely near anybody in coverage I'm glad you said that because that's really what i'm trying to get at here is if you take out the two fourth down plays the passing game was really rough and now obviously they did those pat those fourth down plays but i'm going to credit more of that to shane Steichen and, and the play design the actual sort of performance levels of everyone in this passing game was i, I think they're going to get too much credit because it's easy to just look at this the, the feel of the game and the sort of the 
the the box score makes it look like they you know, had a decent day passing. Really, they had two fourth down plays, and other than that, they you know they were they're lucky that they didn't have two picks. They didn't find the end zone. It was it was not a banner day against a Bucks secondary that's that's not all that great. Too much credit for me, Colts secondary. Uh, way too many coverage busts. Mike Evans somehow caught two touchdown passes where he wasn't covered. He's the most obvious player. There was also a fourth and ten. Uh, where Chris Godwin got a 19-yard gain. It, there were a lot of plays available for those receivers in that game. Uh, also, just to underscore this, Julian Blackman, who the Colts feel like has been one of their most consistent defensive backs this season, had two passes broken up. The other passes, or the other pass breakups on the day, DeForest Buckner, who plays defensive tackle, Tyquan Lewis plays defensive end, and Ronnie Harrison, who intercepted a pass as a linebacker. They did not get their hands on any other balls, um, this may not end up mattering because of the caliber of the passing attacks they're about to keep playing, but just I, I think I think probably too much credit for them, too little credit. Zach Moss, hmm. that's um, a good one. People were screaming for Zach Moss to get out of the game. I would say that that you and I were both felt like Jonathan Taylor maybe wasn't playing enough. Um, in in addition, Zach Moss was pretty good. Eight carries, fifty five yards, long of sixteen, six point nine per carry. I also think that. In, in a perfect world, this is probably the best way to deploy these two running backs where they're kind of even through the first three quarters and then you give Taylor the most important carries of the game in the, in the, the last quarter. It keeps carries off of Taylor, keeps him from having a 35-carry game, which we've seen in the past, um, and keeps him fresh for the end. Uh, so so Zach Moss has been more valuable, I think, than people realize. Um, and, and, yes, I, I still believe that Jonathan Taylor is – the better player and should be on the field more, but they should absolutely, we've, we've talked about this in the past. They should use players to keep uh, some of the workload off of him. And, and Zach Moss allowed them to do that today. Yeah. And I guess I'm just going to go with Jonathan Taylor for mine uh, because, you know, he had 91 yards, he, the two touchdowns, obviously he's going to get credit for those. But what was impressive to me was the runs right before those touchdowns were just gorgeous. He two different plays where he sort of, it didn't look like there's a lot there. He patiently kind of kind of waited for stuff to set up and then and then hit it. And you, he's finishing runs a little bit better than he was through through contact. I think he's just he's he's really got his legs under him. There was a there was just some things he had to work through when he first came back, as far as obvious the basic conditioning, but also just getting the feel, the vision uh, back to the level it was at when he has to make these decisions in such short time you know, on a dime and, and it feels like he's back at that now. And it was able to average 6.1 yards a carry, uh, on 15 carries with two touchdowns running against Vita Via in a very good, you know, run defense without his starting center. Uh, so I thought he, thought he overcame a lot. And I do think he should, I agree mostly with the plan. Kind of you laid out, give him more carries toward the end. I still want to see more of a workload for him. I think when he's by far your best player on offense, 15 carries just a little low i understand why it happened but um but overall since he's we just haven't really seen him unleashed in a high volume way as much as i thought maybe we would because they're in a spot where because of what they're going through at quarterback i think they need to lean on him a little bit more we we would both like to see him get more opportunities in the passing game let's let i want to make too. that clear we would absolutely both like to see him get more chances and that was weird he had zero targets and they threw 41 times and i don't know that just felt like that felt like something that they would try, and it just didn't seem like he was really running that many routes either. Zach Moss was in on a lot of those pass plays, so that's one area where it's five. You want to keep carries down. I think you should have some receptions too. That brings us to the last two uh, categories of the day, one to throw away, one to go on. We always start this one with one to throw away because that's, that's the point of it. It's supposed to be thrown away. We leave the one to go on as you finish the podcast. Um, something something that's going to come out of this game that people are going to be talking about that eventually is not going to end up being a big deal. Well, I don't know if it's much this game or this week, but I'd like to kill the notion that's out there that the Colts cut Shaquille Leonard for some sort of accountability move. Uh, that's good. I've seen that a lot on Twitter. I've kind of gone back and forth with some people, but I think today makes it very clear that like this, this is not some – it's a little messy in the way that they had to go about making the cut but this is not some broken relationship that uh that they just did this to you know show him up and say you know don't 
question play you know your playing time and your role and we're going to show you by releasing you in the middle of the season that's not what it was about it was a purely football move they decided to pretty much make a swap one for one him out ronnie harrison in you saw why they did that ronnie harrison is just his body is much more capable at this point they gave Shaq as long as they felt like they could to you know get a full year out of a second back surgery and um, and it just didn't work out, but it was, you know, this is a team that has had this happen in some other ways where, uh, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. had issues with his role, and that week he got the first six targets. And I know people pointed out that he, he came out and sort of walked it back, but the biggest difference is that they agreed with him, and they put more on his plate, and he delivered. It was about performance at the end of the day, and Shaq's performance to them just wasn't, uh, what they were looking for anymore, but uh, the, the, I don't think like they've. Chris Ballard has said this. Gus Bradley has said this. They want players who want to be on the field and want to do more. That is not that is not a real problem to them. So if they were going to do some kind of accountability move with Shaq, I think that would have happened the first week that he said something. Instead, you know, that went on three weeks, and then they did something because it was a football decision. So I just would like that uh, to be thrown out. One to throw away for me, uh, going for it on fourth down is bad. <laughs> after the uh, after the failed fourth down, it w- it was a little bit of a questionable call. I think fourth and six from the forty, but um, the idea that like like I, I the, the reaction I've seen when the Colts have and the Colts are only eleven of twenty two, they're only fifty percent at going for it on fourth down, is is always like stop doing this do the smart thing and just punt it away. Eh. No, I don't like that. I mean, the the numbers say that over time, if you go for it on fourth down, it's good for your team. And I think that that's true. And I also think going for it on fourth down has directly led to the last two wins um, because the only touchdown scored in the game in Germany was on fourth down. Right. <laughs> in a situation where a lot of people were saying kick it because they looked so incompetent in the first two plays at the goal line. So... Um, I'm I'm a go for the throat guy. We you listeners of the podcast know this, but that's that's. Uh, I'm I think you should try to you should try to win the game. Don't try to not lose it. Yeah, I'm the exact same way, and I think it just goes back to why did you bring Shane Steichen here? It's largely because of the play calling. So you're giving him moments, high leverage moments like that, and putting the, in a way, putting the ball in his hands. Obviously, it's technically a Gardner Minshew's, but if he has the play and they prepare this and he adds a new wrinkle like he's giving them an edge by going for it where they've practiced those plays as much as they have that week to and it's something the defense isn't going to see coming so um I totally agree and I just yeah there are it just does seem like a philosophical thing there's some people who just are against the idea of going for it on fourth down unless you absolutely have to maybe they just like watching punt it's just not maybe then if that's the case Iowa football is going to play here at Lucas Oil next Saturday. <laughs> so get your tickets and come watch. Um, Their punter is fantastic. He's amazing. They're actually really good at punting. But, yeah, I just – in and general, he's going to have to punt a lot in that I'm game. one of those people. I totally like, totally like what you just said. I, I'm a go-for-the-throat guy. I'm all about aggressiveness. And if you're one of those people that uh, doesn't ever want to go for it on fourth ever on principle, I don't know. You're just a nothing burger. Jeez. Oh, Skip past that one. That leaves us with one to go on. Um, we don't have enough time left in that po- left in the podcast for that. That leaves us with one to go on. Uh, this is the take. This is a take that we will be talking about the rest of the time. I'll do the easy one. Colts are going to be in the playoff mix. I don't know if they're going to make it. They're going to be in this up until the end. We're going to be talking about it towards the end. Uh, honestly, the Bucks should have been a bad matchup for them with their lack of giving up sacks and their good receivers. Colts found a way to win it anyway. They found a way to take care of their, the, the Bucks' obvious vulnerabilities anyway. Um, they do not, this this is a Colts team, they do not play difficult. They do not play any juggernauts down the stretch. There is no Eagles, there's no Niners, there's no Chiefs. There's no, none, none of the none of the, the best teams in the NFL are left on the schedule. Um, I think that's going to, they're, they're going to stay in it. They're going to be in it. Yeah, that's a really good one. I Wish I had been able to go first because it was the absolute right take uh, on this game because that is that is what it, like I've seen people say that they're just beating up on bad teams but guys that's what they've got left on the schedule right I mean the Texans are the one team left that I think you could argue is is a good team 
but the, the Bengals the next- in in the Steelers, I should say, I found a way to get to seven and four without playing much offense. So they they count as that, but it's certainly a home game against Kenny Pickett. I mean, if they win that and it's low scoring, people are going to say the same thing. You just kind of beat a bad quarterback. That's what they've got to do this year. And I think by definition, if you consistently beat bad teams, you are not a bad team. The next time they're going to play a team that you would consider, like where we could actually have the discussion about they only beat bad teams would be if they made the playoffs. Yeah. Because Jacksonville beat Houston today, which means Jacksonville is pretty much going to win the division. And then – so that but that puts you in the wild card, and if you're in a wild card, you're probably playing Baltimore or Miami or Kansas City or Jacksonville. Yeah, I think it goes to the clear difference between are they a playoff contender or a Super Bowl contender. They're a playoff contender because the math says they are, the schedule they have remaining. They've shown us enough that they're that. Now you can use those other qualms about, you know, are they beyond that? Are they a Super Bowl contender? No, I don't think they are based on what we've seen. I, I think you may have just run yourself into your one to go on. Mm. That they're not a Super Bowl contender? Yeah. All right. They're not a Super Bowl contender because <laughs> the biggest reason is what we go on bet where we started this with is that Super Bowl contenders can win with their passing game and they are they put on the quarterback and they can win with their arm. And that's kind of held true almost almost every year in recent memory outside of you know one year where the Broncos won with in Peyton Manning's last year because they had the best defense I think I've ever seen so uh, the Colts don't quite have that they're but they're um, they're a playoff contender because they are consistently beating bad teams and by definition therefore they're above that tier uh, to get it to be a Super Bowl contender just have to would have to see something a lot different out of their their drop back passing game, but that's fine. That's uh, I and mean, we didn't even think we'd be here talking about the playoffs at this point. I certainly didn't think so when Anthony Richardson you know went on IR, uh, but here they are and they've they've legitimized it a little bit. There you have it. That's the first impressions podcast. The Colts are six and five. The Bills lost to the Eagles while we were taping the end of this, I believe. And uh, our editor, Nat Newell, is still here and said that that means the Colts, if the season ended today, would be in the playoffs. I don't know why the season would end today. And if the season did end today, I don't think there would be playoffs. Because if something big enough happens to cancel the season, that means there's probably not going to be playoffs. But So it's kind of a weird thing to say. But if the season did end today, and then there was for some reason playoffs, um, they would be in it. Yeah, it's a... Uh because it's an interesting factoid. Maybe it's a banner they can hang if the season falls apart. My goodness. <laughs> Spicy Nate here at the end. <laughs> For the Colts Cover 2 podcast, this has been the First Impressions Edition. I'm Joel Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. We'll talk to you again middle of the week.